get here? Where did it come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. Zona or Lipton, if you're listening, all I'm saying is we drink the shit out of your tea. People that listen to our podcast, they're going to drink the shit out of your tea because we'll just push it. They we can just hear us drinking Largely, this t- this podcast is largely fueled by Lipton and Arizona Look, tea. Look, here I am right now just drinking the tea. And the occasional coffee that your boy drinks. Don't ruin yes, this for us. Yes, and an espresso on every episode <laughs> drank Dude, by Rob. Every episode, bro. <laughs> How do you sleep? Sometimes I don't, boys. Oh, is that because you're up late writing down content for this podcast for our Legion of Listeners? <laughs> Top-notch content. As we all know, usually I handle the research for these episodes, but tonight, you know, it's been a little rough patch. I've had a rough week in the office. Syracuse so uh, is 0-3. Yeah, rough patch in my life right now. So uh, well, we let it, Rob go ahead and handle all the research for this one. Doesn't help that the skins took an L tonight. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so funny. Anyways, welcome to the podcast from Outer Space. It's your boy, Rob Scott, as always, with Adam Narlock. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Brian Scott. How are we doing, everybody? Coming in hot for episode six. And tonight we're talking about Halloween, the original. None of that Rob Zombie shit. We're getting right into Don Carpenter himself, 1978, boys. Good year. So, you know, we're talking about Halloween tonight. What? Are, I mean, that's, uh, well, that's my favorite horror film pretty much of all time. So uh, I was just wondering, what, what are your guys' favorite Halloween and or horror films? Hmm. Adam, why don't you field that one? <laughs> I'm going to defer. Oh my god, dude. I cannot think of a horror film. I don't watch the horror genre. I don't know every yeah, this guy doesn't even like horror. I um, You assholes have been making me watch more horror in the past month than I've watched in my entire life. I, feel I like. love horror films. Favorite? Whores? Whores. Hmm. I mean, I like the original Halloween. I like uh I like the fourth and fifth one. Those are the ones I've probably seen the most out of like the franchise. They're always on TV. I yeah, like. yep. And um I mean, Friday the 13th, that's a classic. Hocus Pocus, Ooh. that's a good one. I like that, that one. Does that count? Can I, can I steal yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> that's can a I great look at one. Your notes? Well, hopping right into it, boys. John Carpenter was born in 1948 in New York. With his family relocating to Bowling Green, Kentucky, where he would spend his childhood, he said that he became fascinated with film at a young age, and It Came From Outer Space was the movie that always stuck with him, which is coincidentally also used in our podcast intro for the listeners that didn't know that. Yeah, if you don't know, that's the, um, what earthly power can stop (laughs) this terror? If you don't know, now you know. He said that uh, it made filmmaking seem amazing because of the way it made him feel and that he was very frightened even though he realized that he was in a theater with his parents and nothing could really happen to him. That's Uh, a a sign of good filmmaking right there, I think, man. Like, I don't want to see all the gross stuff, but when it's in your mind, man, like... Yeah, that also, that goes back to like, I'm sure we talked about this with the King stuff. It's like um, reading it is always... You know how everyone says the book's always better because your imagination is so much more vast than what they can show you? Saw it, book was better. (laughs) (laughs) Saw it sucked. (laughs) Well, yeah, man. You know, it's really, if when you create something in your mind, it's a lot scarier than just seeing some scary shit. Which I think, uh, you know, a lot in Halloween. 
Oh, they yeah, don't. Sure. I mean, they do show you some graphic stuff, but at the same time, it's kind of mild and tame by today's standards, if you will. Yeah, definitely. It's not all. It's not covered in gore. And I also think that whole not showing you aspect is like, have you ever seen a movie where you were you were scared, and then when they showed the the monster, or the thing, or the ghost, you were just like, oh. <laughs> Sucked, like you know, Classic not that good. It man with the giant spider. Oh yeah, the, I was like scared the clown scary, but then the, the spider's movie. like ah, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, that's scary. You know, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So this, well, actually, I saw a thing that um, when I was doing some research, it said that uh, a lot of people consider the horror genre to be pre-Halloween and after Halloween. So that mm. John Carpenter's Halloween kind of set the tone for what was to come like he kind of changed the game of the of the whole horror movie which is kind of cool that's it that's it so he began shooting eight millimeter films before he was even in high school and would go on to to attend western kentucky university to study film which is actually where his father was uh working in the music department head of the music department right yeah then he kind of decided like middle of nowhere kentucky is probably not the place to take off his film career so transferred to usc uh only staying a couple years before he moved on to start making his own film and his first major film as a director was dark star in 1974 which was a science fiction comedy that he co-wrote with dan o'bannon who later went on to write alien borrowing lots of ideas from dark star uh, reportedly only cost $60,000 to make and was pretty crazy because Carpenter and O'Bannon together did the score, the writing, producing, and directing. And then O'Bannon actually did some acting in the film and did the special effects, which he uh, caught the t- attention of George Lucas and he was hired to help on the first set of Star Wars films that were made. So... You know, it's kind of cool that the uh, sci-fi and horror genres seem to intersect here because we got John Carpenter working on this film. Then the guy that helps him goes on to work on Alien, Star Wars. Yeah, and um, and I feel like Carpenter, even though he's most known for like horror stuff, I mean, he's like a huge name in sci-fi with like... Uh, some of the films that he's done and the whole intersecting like sci-fi stuff is like um you know like you know your own people right yeah you stay with your own people you find your own people in places they it's like little clicks you know that's probably goes on at film school so all these guys you know stick together and once they start getting big name budget films you know start helping each other out oh you do this on my film like you know all collaboration you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of thing. Yep, yep. And um, University of Southern California's film school produced a bunch of major directors um, other than Carpenter, George Lucas, John Milius. Is that how you say his name? I believe so. Yeah, he's uh, Apocalypse Now, Red Dawn, Dirty Harry, and uh, Big Wednesday. And then uh, Robert Zemeckis, he did uh, Back to the Future, Contact, Forrest Gump. He classics. did like yeah, a bunch of other classics. And um, Carpenter, The Thing, 
Uh, actually, he went on to remake that in 82. It's like one of his more known films. And that actually makes a cameo in Halloween. That's that's the uh, movie that uh, Tommy's watching with the other little girl. But it's actually the 51 version, which is the thing from another world. And yeah, Carpenter remade this in 82, although he says it's, like, it's not like a, a direct remake. Carpenter's is just more true to the book, which was... Um, who Goes There by John Campbell, who's also uh, largely considered um, the man who shaped the golden age of sci-fi. And he actually helped uh, launch L. Ron Hubbard's career, the guy who uh, is like the head of Scientology, or was before he Great died. Guy. Yeah, he, uh, uh, this guy, John Campbell, played a key... Yeah, he was a piece of shit. Uh, but, but yeah, John Campbell played like a key role in promoting... Um, the book Dianetics, which was a sci-fi book, but became like the Bible of Scientology. And um, real douchebag move. Yeah. So another crazy string of connections is that Robert England, who you guys might know him from Nightmare on Elm Street, he played Freddy Krueger. R.I.P. Right. <laughs> true. Pour one out for him. Yeah. Uh, he actually was working on the set of Halloween before he would go on to star in A Nightmare on Elm Street. And he was considered to play the role of Luke Skywalker in the original Star Wars films, but urged his best friend to go try out instead. And his best friend sleeping on his couch at the time? Guess who that was, guys? Oh, A1. Mark Mark Hamill. Hamill. But, you know, actually, he wanted to go to Tanchi Station to pick (laughs) up some power converters (laughs) that day. (laughs) All right, guys. Let's hop right into this week. So getting into the masterpiece that is Halloween, released in 1978. Many consider this film to have set the bar for slasher movies, inspiring the likes of Friday the 13th, as well as A Nightmare on Elm Street. So, you know, Halloween comes out. Nothing has really been out like that before. And then after it, this string of like, I mean, don't get me wrong, Friday the 13th is still a classic in my opinion, but a lot of people like shit on it compared to Halloween just because Friday the 13th is like kind of a holiday. Guys like going a around in that day theme, you know? Yeah, guys going around in a mask, killing people. Same concept, essentially. And it's also crazy that by 78, Halloween as a movie title like wasn't taken, <laughs> you know? Like, that's. I know that's pretty crazy. I feel like all the movies that came before it, though, were kind of like just like the classics, like Dracula, Frankenstein. Yeah, like the Universal Monsters. Werewolf. Guys, guys, I got this great idea for a movie title. No one's ever thought of this shit. (laughs) I mean, that's true. He's uh, Carpenter said like he was surprised, like because the okay, the original title, uh, the producer wanted to call the film "The Babysitter Murders." Can you imagine if that <laughs> film was called that? Like, it wouldn't carry the same yeah, weight. I and would not have watched it. it is and today. they said, um, like, yeah, Carpenter was like, I was shocked that Halloween wasn't taken as a title or, like, hadn't been used before that. Yeah, well, so Erwin Yablons, which was the producer on the film, uh, his original idea was having it be the babysitter murders. But then when uh, Carpenter and Deborah Hill started writing the script for it, he came back to him and was like, hey, guys, instead of just the babysitter murders what if we base this on a holiday and then it's kind of like more relatable because like yeah babysitters are relatable but if it's on a like a holiday you know it seems like everyone's just going out having fun trick-or-treating partying and stuff and then boom 
Michael Myers shows up in your fucking house, starts stabbing people. A lot creepier. Anyways, uh, it was produced on a budget of only 300000 but would gross $47 million at the box office in the United States and $23 million internationally, totaling over $70 million worldwide. And just in 1978 alone, sold over 30 million tickets. So. And now, uh, this is my thing. So... At first, like, Halloween wasn't that successful. Um, it had, like, a few bad reviews. It was, like, a limited release, which is, like, a theme for a lot of Carpenter's movies. Um, I think the only ones that became successful in the box office were Halloween because it later got some better reviews, The Fog and Escape from New York and Starman. And, um, yeah, like, so Halloween struggled at first, but then it got, like, two glowing reviews, they say, which just totally turned it around, which this is my whole thing. Is that, like, so these crazy film critics like Roger Ebert just, like, give it a good review and then everybody just is like mm. oh yeah like it's great you know I, mean, I think back in the day that's kind of how yeah. people based it on Watch guys, that's what i'm saying deciding what's good what's yeah bad. it's yeah. fucked up and that's what that's my whole thing with like rotten tomatoes like do you guys know i'm sure everybody knows that one guy that's like oh let's go well i'll be like let's go see this movie and they're like oh let me check the score it first and then 20 yeah on rotten and they go in with like those preconceived yeah. notions that's why i hate Rotten Tomatoes. Fuck Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. It's just like, just go see it with no preconceived notions. Don't look up anything about it and just... Form your own opinion. Yeah, form your own opinions. And um, there's too much going on, though, dude. There's too many reviews out there. There's a little... Too many little blogs. Everyone's, yeah, everyone's got their got own opinion. Phone, everyone's throwing stuff out. Feel you know, free to leave opinions on our <laughs> podcast, though. <laughs> yeah. Five-star reviews. Uh, dude, I seriously... like If I watch a... If I go see... A cool like trailer for a movie and it looks good to me i'm gonna go see it regardless what anyone else says last jedi now gotta go see it you know you can buy tickets to that already i heard that i'm surprised you don't have them already maybe i do maybe i do (laughs) your dad bought like four for you guys already (laughs) would not surprise me he probably does merry christmas we're going to see last (laughs) jedi (laughs) get in the car (laughs) that's gonna be your christmas dude what would your dad dress up as boba fett yeah. Really? <laughs> Why do you say it like that? I just can't see him as that. Well, would you see him? I think he's like a Darth Vader. I could see him as old, <laughs> old Ben. Because he he's no. your father? He's ang- Yeah, I guess. Darth Vader. He's angry all the time. And oh. bald. <laughs> My dad used to have a movie quality Darth Maul mask that he Dude, he got the giant black cloak. He had the that suit, too. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and the gloves. Yeah. I see it. I see it. Okay, but back to uh, Carpenter. Uh, yeah, a lot of his films were like commercial failures they didn't do well at the box office but they were they went on to just become cult classics i mean just his list is the thing in 82 christine in 83 which was a stephen king novel yep. uh big trouble little china 86 it's such a classic prince of darkness they live in 88 and uh Great mouth year. of madness in 95 and um i think this stuff was like especially they live is like similar to blade runner where it was just like before it's time, you know, like Blade mm. Runner didn't do well. And I, I heard like the new ones not doing as well as people thought. But like we saw it, it was fucking yeah, bad. Saw it last like week. I Pretty think sick if, movie. It's, if it's not doing real well critically, that's super underrated. You know, I feel like a lot of the critics, though, like the things that they're saying are bad are just like people that never really were into the original. Because like if you 
liked the original Blade Runner, I feel like you should like this one. Yeah. Kind of like most critics who don't like sticks. Most critics are cynical assholes. Yeah, and uh, the release date for They Live was actually pushed back two weeks to avoid competing directly with Halloween 4 in 88. Mm. Interesting. So Halloween became one of the most profitable independent films to date. And in making of the film, Carpenter's goal was to let the audience create the terror, as we previously mentioned. Uh, He uses little blood and gore in the movie and he wanted to play into the theater of the mind he said making you believe you saw horrible things by the way he presents it on the screen many people recalled how gruesome and bloody the film was when in fact there's not really that much blood seen in the movie and very few scenes of actual like people being stabbed like see like i read your outline and i, was, I had to go back and watch the film and i was like oh shit yeah man yeah yeah and it, i went back and watched the film too like we watched it last week and um it's you mostly see like the blood on the knife after he stabs him or in the needle yeah the and it, and i think that goes also back to like almost like we were talking about on the stranger things episode like those constraints in the budget mm. made it to be like what it is you yeah, know because like, like the boundaries yeah when you were like you really have to like fine-tune it to work with what you got and i think that like was a win-win for him because he doesn't have to spend yeah massive amounts of money on Dude. these effects and plus another crazy constraint is the guy that fronted the money uh but uh he wanted the movie produced in 20 days so i mean like most movies these days take like a year or two to film yeah they they, they wrapped like on filming in 21 days right yeah. and they wrote the script him and um hill wrote the script in 10 days yeah savage dude yeah i mean i guess it's not like that complex of a script because a lot of it's just uh like from the viewpoint of a stalker, like no sounds, it's all suspense and music. And but teenage girls talking. Yeah, but still, <laughs> I mean, complex. That, that's still pretty well, crazy to write it in 10 days. Yeah, absolutely. When I was um, researching, they actually said, because like Deborah Hill was actually like pretty proactive in the like feminism movement. So she was like, I'm tired of all these like movies where like girls are just like running around, mm. getting banged, getting killed don't really have like a prominent role so when they wrote like laurie strode's role that was like the whole like making her like a strong female character instead of like i don't know i feel like that's one of the first movies where a female ha- di- wasn't just like some like dumb chick extra in the movie you waiting know I mean? to get rescued she's <laughs> badass yeah I, get it. I dig it so and then uh another thing was when you were talking about how like Michael Myers is pretty much stalking people the whole time. The yeah. <laughs> that was like something that hadn't really been that like point of view. Yeah. Those like sequence. tracking yeah. shots and like the shots where you just see him step in and it's just like from behind his shoulder. Yeah. And then another like with the budget constraints, uh, John Carpenter actually wrote the score. And some places say that he wrote it overnight. Some places say that it took like. 48 hours but i mean, I mean still either way that's, yeah, that's such that's a classic yeah. dude like you could play that song anywhere that halloween intro song and everyone's he, yeah, getting creeped he, out everyone knows what it is doesn't he focus like mostly on music now yeah he's actually yeah. uh he's actually like like has a group of his friends that like tour with him and they play like all kinds of music yeah that's cool so the screenplay 
as we said, was written by Carpenter and his girlfriend at the time, Deborah Hill. For the setting of Halloween, Hill drew on her own town, which was Haddonfield, New Jersey, and transformed it into the fictional small town of Haddonfield, Illinois. Uh, like many great horror stories, takes place in a little Norman Rockwell-esque small town that could just be like your neighborhood. She said that she wanted a Midwest sleepy town, and the idea of pulling off the veneer and seeing what lies beneath is what intrigued her. She said, what's so interesting to me about horror movies is that they take places in small towns where they don't have a huge police force. You put the story in a sleepy town, uh, really beautiful homes, nice full trees, it seems safe. You think nothing could go wrong, and then nothing could be further from the truth. Every town has a secret. Every town has that lore, something that went horribly wrong with it. And she said that rear window was one of the inspirations where you peel off the veil and have a peek inside of the apartments. So Now, real quickly, this is also like Stranger Things. They moved it from the coast (laughs) to... The Midwest. Now, can we imagine if if Halloween was set in New Jersey? <laughs> hey, we got any, we got any fucking police over here. We got this fucking masked guy running around with a knife, freaking stabbing everyone. He's hey. freaking stabbing all the kids in the town over here. Hey, give me a beer. Hey, he's over here. He's freaking stabbing all these freaking babysitters. They're over here watching the kids on Halloween. He's freaking stabbing them. No, that would be a good movie. <laughs> As we were saying, at Hill's request, a young Jamie Lee Curtis was cast into the role of Laurie Strode in what would become her feature film debut. Uh, Jamie is very much like Laurie Hill explained. Uh, She's very introspective, very complicated. There are many interesting facets to Jamie, and there's very beautiful innocence uh, that the business still hasn't ruined. And then also, John Carpenter, you know, over here, big Alfred Hitchcock fan, Uh, Her mother, Janet Lee, had a starring role in Hitchcock's 1960 classic, Psycho. So here we are again, intertwining these uh, horror and sci-fi movies. And let me just say about Jamie Lee Curtis. (laughs) This might not be a poll question. (laughs) Okay. She has always looked like she's like 40, right? Yep, yep. I don't think... Okay, if you look at her in Freaky Friday and then look at her in Halloween... The Almost exactly. Like she doesn't age. She just cut yeah. her hair. Yeah. <laughs> she's got a haircut. She has always looked like an older lady. I mean, if you look at her now, though, dude, she's almost like 70 now. I think she's 68. Yeah, I mean, but, but she was 19 in Halloween and she looks so looks much older. Yeah. yeah, she definitely looks younger than 40 in Halloween. It's probably all that damn yogurt. <laughs> Activia. Activia, dude. Shout out to Activia. You know, you guys want to send us some yogurt? <laughs> I think you need to make that a poll question on the Instagram. All right, I'll do that. We'll do it. We'll get out. We'll get on it. Uh, so Lori is the good girl of the group, obviously, and Carpenter and Hill unconsciously created this classic horror rule that if you have sex, you're gonna die in the movie. Uh, it's unclear which critic first pointed this out, though it might have been Pauline Kale who wrote first wrote the killer has no trouble picking off the teenager who's fooling around. Only Lori has the virginal strength to fight back. Uh, Hill says that this was never a conscious decision. The people that mentioned it in the reviews applied their own morality to it. I thought they were being a little introspective about a film that was meant to have no social statements, uh, which Carpenter agreed with saying it wasn't his intention to make a moral point. He hadn't really thought of it and that the other girls were too busy fooling around with their boyfriends to kind of fight off the killer, whereas Lori was actually just watching the kids. So I mean, that goes back to that critic thing. Like, you put anything under a <laughs> microscope, mm-hmm. you're going to find stuff like that, you know? 
Like, do you ever have to analyze like uh, some type of literature for school and they're yeah. like Stick. talking about like so much oh, stuff? Can with you just it? repeat yeah. the story back to me? And you're like, okay, maybe the guy just wrote it because that's what came to his mm. mind. He wasn't trying to make some grand morale point, you know? Yeah. Like when you have to analyze a nightmare before Christmas. Yeah, something <laughs> like that, and compare oh, it to Taxi Driver. Um, what uh, unfucking believable. I wanted to make a point, you know, I was going to make a crack about uh, <coughs> Rob would never die if he was in a horror movie. But we all know this guy's seen a lot of tits in his <laughs> days. Yeah. His numbers are through the roof. He'd be the first one dead. <laughs> but uh, one thing I did look up that I thought was interesting. Um, so Carpenter talks about, like, the killings. And he says, like, he wanted them to be, like, super randomized so that it makes it seem like it could happen to anyone, you know? He wanted not a, a pattern to develop because he says once a pattern develops, then... Um, we have an answer to why. And without that pattern, then you can't just write it off like, oh, it wouldn't happen to me because of this. And I think that's what the, like Carpenter wasn't a big fan of the sequels because they, that's where they start interweaving in like he was trying to kill his whole family. Like she's his brother and it strays from that in a bunch of the sequels. Like they're not all together, you know? And, um, sure. I think that's part of the reason why, just because in the first one, they were so random. And then the second one, he's got like a reason, you know? Carpenter's even said like when he was filming it, it was basically just like him and his homies and like some people that like they cast Donald Pleasance. that term, homies? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> John Carpenter originated the word homies. Look it up. Google it. Yo, just me and my it. homies just wanted to make this movie. <laughs> God damn it, dude. Um, no, it was just like he cast um, Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance, but everyone else was like, Deborah Hill was his girlfriend. The guy that p- originally played Michael Myers was just literally, he told his friend like, hey, I'm filming this movie right now. I'm getting paid like 30 grand. Yeah. You want to just come hang out on set? And he then one day needed someone to play the role and was like, oh, guess what? You're fucking Michael Myers now. Yeah. And Donald Pleasance was like the only like big time actor on it. Like he had a trailer and everything and they paid him like 25K. Yeah. 20 grand, I think. He had to go back to the... Uh, the producer and, and like get 25k to he was him. yeah he was only on set for five days and he got like basically yeah, five grand right day. There, yeah man, hey i mean he's like one of the most prominent characters in the franchise this is Whole fucking true. sam loom so speaking of people on set uh tommy lee wallace was the production designer for the film is actually credited with uh the making of the infamous white mask that michael myers wears quoted saying there was no question that once the captain kirk mask came out it was very unsettling we knew what we had we had what we needed i think all you had to do was look at the mask and say something is desperately wrong here and i'm scared comes to no surprise that wallace goes on to work on other productions including the twilight zone halloween 3 and boom the 1990 television miniseries it yep classic and i think it actually was it was between like um the captain kirk mask and a like a clown mask right there was yeah there was some like i don't know you know like whatever scary movies out right now they'll make a mask of it Mm. there was some like clown mask at the time and and then the captain kirk from star trek obviously and um they actually added the hair and they painted the mask white so that it would stand out better in the dark backgrounds because that's like a big theme is like seeing just his face in the in the dark and um since they were operating on a small budget they didn't have a lot of uh lighting to work with so 
they wanted to make the mask really stand out. And he, he, yeah, he was saying like once they painted it white, it was like just super terrifying. As we were talking about before, um, using that POV shot to, uh, you know, kind of have some creepier elements, like the first shot where it's like you're walking up to the house and then it shows like young Michael Myers walking around and eventually like killing his sister. That was part of what made Halloween so scary. Uh, this was like one of the first films that used the Panaglide system. Uh, it came out around the same time as Steadicam, which is what a lot of filmmakers were using at the time. Yeah, that's what uh, Kubrick used on The Shining. When Steadicam? He's yeah, when he's following him through the maze and stuff. Yeah, uh, dude, I was watching some outtakes from Halloween and the Panaglide was, this has like this 80 pound apparatus. Yeah, it's like a big rig you wear on your whole body. Yeah, you kind of like strap this. It look, almost looks like a like weightlifting belt, but it has like the camera steady, and then you can like focus and kind of just follow the actor around or whatever. So yeah, uh, that really hadn't been used in any films. That's one of the things that kind of like s set Halloween apart. And uh, Carpenter's quoting saying that this was a new technology that we, by the seat of our pants, learned to use. Uh, Dean Cundy said that John wanted to do something for the opening shot that took advantage of it and would be completely new and innovative that you couldn't do with a conventional camera shot. I've always admired long tracking shots at the opening of movies, Carpenter said. Touch of evil immediately comes to mind and there's one in the original Scarface. An acquaintance of mine had made a short film that was all in one take and it was an engrossing way of moving the camera through an environment. Uh, tracking shots are often considered the holy grail of shots in film and are very hard to do in one take and choreograph everything to a T. One of the most famous is probably in Goodfellas when uh, Henry's taking Karen through the kitchen of the restaurant and Spielberg was also known for this. Yeah, it's uh, it's very hard to do. If you go and watch that opening scene, like he goes into the house and then the camera follows around in the back and goes up the stairs and he's like looking in the windows while he's going through the back goes into the house up the stairs to the right and into the room and like they had to do that all in one take while the guy's wearing this 70 pound rig and they did have like i think one cut in there when they put the mat when he puts the mask over before he stabs her yeah. but still like think about it like they had to have the lights set up differently when he's looking through the windows so then while the camera guy's coming around the house they had people in the house running around switching, switching the lights to where they lights, need to be yeah, yeah crazy it's a real coup de gras yeah <laughs> but it's the first scene <laughs> not the last well dude that was actually the last thing that they filmed apparently because yeah. the kid that plays the young michael myers is like they couldn't have they couldn't he wasn't allowed to be on set until the very end of the shoot so yeah interesting fact they actually used a little mask and put it on the camera for those shots i, I thought that was just like and an edit <laughs> in the documentary did you also think that kid was like a little bit of a nerd like he was, it was like when it was interviewing like present day. Yeah. And he was yeah. like, it hurt when they took the mask <laughs> off of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They like ripped the, I guess they like, when they ripped the mask off and they're like, Michael, he, he was like, we had to do the shot a but, couple of times and it hurt when he yanked the mask off But of this me. dude is like our age now. Yeah. And they were like, oh, so what was like the craziest part about filming? He's like, probably when they had to rip the mask off. <laughs> like, what? So once again, shout out to Deborah Hill, whose idea it was to bring on Cundy, who would eventually continue working with John Carpenter on The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, and Big Trouble in Little China, and later went on to work on 
Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, and Apollo 13. Mm. All classics, all fucking badass films. Although John Carpenter wasn't fully established yet, Cundy felt that he was making a big leap in his career. He says, working with John was a revelation because suddenly here was a guy interested in using the camera in a creative way and drawing the audience in. He says, although I thought, boy, this is just my cup of tea where the camera is contributing and you're telling the story with the visuals. So, you know, Carpenter's one of the first guys that kind of pulled this into the horror genre and made it a lot different than any kind of horror or like gore movie that had ever hit the theater before. Yeah, and uh, Carpenter actually cited uh, the Texas Chainsaw that came out in 74 as Classic. like, so, yeah, some of his inspiration for the, those POV and visual shots when um, he said when he went to see that in theaters, it was like, it was like as if someone took the camera and just started like murdering people. And like, that's kind of, I guess, what he was going for in this one, you know, with all the like stalker shots and stuff. Yeah. Uh, another thing that uh, Carpenter and Cundy started with wide shots and gradually closed in tighter, closing the audience in until they felt like they too were trapped in a closet. Uh, the scene where Laurie goes into the closet to hide from Michael Myers and he just like breaks the whole fucking thing apart. Ooh, yep. <laughs> yeah, and that w- wasn't that actually. Um, it was like the guy that did the set designs yeah. because he said he like knew how to break the things that he set up. So he didn't want the other dude to just like be hitting it a yeah. thousand times because they had limited time to work with. So he just knew exactly where to hit it to break it. And like, so they let him wear the mask for that. Yeah. So there was the original guy, the uh, set designer, Tommy Lee Wallace, and then also Deborah Hill even dressed up yeah, in the Michael Myers get up for one of the shots. One of the shots when you see him like from across the street. Yeah, and another uh, fact that I actually didn't put in here is that when you see, you know that scene where uh, it's like when he first comes into the house that Lori's in with the kids and you see him like come out of the darkness kind of? They use this little light dimmer with like a blue light to make it like even creepier. So like when you see that white mask like coming out of the darkness, looks super creepy. Like right before he's like tries to stab her and just like like rips her shirt. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Another interesting thing is that, so obviously this takes place in Haddonfield, Illinois, but they actually shot the movie early spring in Southern California as opposed to Illinois in late October, which is where it was supposed to be taking place, obviously. Uh, The crew had to buy paper leaves from a decorator and paint them the autumn colors and scatter them around in the various filming locations to save money after a scene was filmed the leaves were then collected and reused imagine if that was your job no that they let they had the actors doing that shit too like they would cut on a scene and be like everybody like get these leaves like we have to like get them like because they didn't want them to blow blow away (laughs) yeah Hey, man, when you only got $300,000 to work with, you hey. got to... Yeah. But, I mean, they did a damn good job of making it look like fall in Illinois. Oh, hell yeah. Also, Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter note on uh, an interview that the trees are actually quite full and green. And even it, there's, like, some... You know those assholes that are like, oh, well, I found this in the uh, movie. Yeah. Like, there's, Cinema like... Cinema Yeah, there's, like, a part where uh, when she's, like, walking Tommy to school yeah. in the beginning, with, you yeah, can with see the palm, palm trees yeah. and <laughs> down the, the street in the background. Yeah. Because I think they filmed in... Uh, I think, like, Pasadena. Pasadena, yeah. South like Pasadena. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> obviously in Illinois in October, leaves would probably not even be on the tree at all. <laughs> you know, speaking of that, uh, there's also the scene where you see Michael Myers like come out from behind that bush, and, and then, then yeah, yeah, and uh, she's like 
Lori, he wants to talk to you. There's a guy here. <laughs> yeah, you can actually see smoke from uh, John Carpenter's cigarette in that if you actually like care to look that up. Yeah, and there's another scene. I, I don't remember which one, but it's like uh, you can. It's like one of those rows of bushes, and you can just see a crew guy's head just popping <laughs> up over him. They just left that in there too. Any other uh, funny bloopers or like kind of flaws that we can think of stand out in your mind? Malcolm in the middle. Um, <laughs> I think the second episode, uh, Hal and Lois are going to go out for dinner for their anniversary or something. And the ki- <laughs> uh, she, her, she finds her dress all burnt and in the toilet. And uh, you can see <clears throat> there's a scene where she's supposed to be coming out of the bathroom with the dress in her hand. And you can see one of the crew members taking the dress out of a bucket so it looks like it came out of the toilet. <laughs> And holds it and gives it to her. Yo, isn't there also like, uh, I think it's like three men and a baby. There's like a cardboard cutout in one of the curtains in the scene. And like everybody, like there was a rumor that spread um, that went viral. It was like a ghost because it's like in one of the scenes and then it's not. And it's like an outline of a man. And everybody said it was a ghost like for years, but it was just like a cardboard cutout. Like one of those Michael Jordan cutouts like in Home Alone that he uses, you know? (laughs) It's like that, but they just like left it in there. So the last key was making a character that the audience would fear. So one of John Carpenter's main goals was making sure that Michael Myers was almost inhuman, like nothing we could relate to. Uh, His psyche and outlook are so skewed that it makes this character scary as well as almost a force rather than a person. Uh, actually, in the script, uh, he's never referred to as Michael Myers. He's always referred to as the shape. The shape. The boogeyman. (laughs) boogeyman yeah uh so it seems like he's indestructible and especially as the series progresses to the like i'm pretty sure it's like halloween five where he's just like getting shot at like a hundred times and still coming back well i think that added to the scariness of it like uh tommy yeah tommy looks out and he can see michael myers but then jamie lee curtis's character whose name is escaping me right now laurie strode she yeah she's like uh oh he's not there there's nothing like Evil, evil's all around us. Like, if you make it be there, like... That's true. Uh, that added to the fear for me, man. Just a little bit. Yeah, they were talking about uh, that in the documentary I watched. Like, the only people that know, like, what's going on besides <laughs> yeah. Loomis are, like, the two little kids mm. because they keep seeing them and, like, everybody else is just, like, in the dark about it. They're just trying to get their freak on, dude. Too preoccupied. A little too preoccupied. Fooling around in the back seat. That's why you don't do that. <laughs> So then the last thing is the idea that you couldn't kill evil and that's how it be that's how the story came about. Going back to the old idea of Sam Wan. Is that how we're saying? Oh, Sa Wen. Sa Wen? Yes. Pronounced as a lot of people say Sam Hain, but the correct pronunciation is Sa Wen. So Sa Wen. Uh, or the idea that Halloween was a night where all the souls are let out to wreak havoc on the living. And this is kind of the basis that the producer was going with. And then Carpenter kind of twisted that into making the most evil kid that ever lived and this fable of a town with a dark secret and someone that once lived there. And now this evil force has come back. And, you know, that's the whole kind of premise that makes Halloween work. Yeah, our hometown had that, like uh, Witchapungo, right? Ooh, Wouldn't you say that's ooh, like the ooh. big lore in our town? I guess, but I never really, I don't know, dude. I don't think that's as scary as 
Well, yeah, but <laughs> what I'm she's not like coming back every Halloween to like murk people. She might. She might. She was out there dancing naked with the devil. Did y'all ever see that movie that they made about that? No. Nah. It was Which like project? a. <laughs> no, man. There was like some like B-rated movie. Like I heard about the, it. It's literally just called Witch of Pongo. I'm pretty sure. The some dude from it. like Pongo made it. Yeah. Sounds like it just. Bunch of rednecks that we went to high school with, probably. <laughs> All right, well, some fun facts about the character names from the film. Michael Myers was actually the name of a film distributor in Europe that helped boost one of Carpenter's earlier films. And, of course, we have Dr. Sam Loomis, who was from Hitchcock's Psycho. Psycho. Oh, and the sequels, of course, you know, the Rob Zombie did a couple remakes. Yeah, how do, how, do, how do we feel about those? You know, honestly, so I've always been a big fan of the original Halloween, and when I first found out that that was happening, I was kind of like... Oh, so you already dismissed it? Like yeah, right I was like, fuck Rotten this. Tomatoes over here. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. So, you know, this was like... I think those came out like early 2000s. Yeah, I was seven. Yep. So I actually did go see them both in theaters. Yep. I remember seeing the second one with you in theaters. Yeah, but I was just like, you know what? I don't like this, but I'm going to give it a shot because... Around that time, not too many good horror movies were being made. So I was like, you know, Rob Zombie's done a couple of decent films. You know, maybe this one's pretty cool. And, you know, I just like, I mean, no disrespect to Rob Zombie, but I feel like the whole idea of Halloween is like what makes it scary is that just like how we just said, like Carpenter wanted Michael Myers not to be relatable. And that makes him so scary because he's like this crazy guy that, breaks out of the asylum and he's like trying to kill his whole family and Rob Zombie kind of like flipped the script and made him like Like super relatable and like oh like let's feel sorry for him because he has like this shitty like white trash family and like that's why he wants to kill him so I feel like that I mean I don't want to say it ruined it but it was kind of it's kind of like communism like it looked good on paper because I no, I'm serious like I like the I like that idea that he wanted to like explore like Michael the lore of like Michael Myers more but yeah I think when it actually came to fruition it just was like eh, whatever you know what, what did you think did you see that one the remake I did see that not I see I'm I'm not a big Rob Zombie guy. No offense, it's yeah. a little too out there for my taste. But I understand I why. I mean, people yeah, all like his it. movies are like a freaking acid trip. Right, right. Devil's Rejects, House yeah. 1000. Yeah, that's just not my taste in movies. Nothing against Rob Zombie. It's just not my taste. But uh, yeah, I saw that one, and I'll take the original over the new one any day. Yeah, and I oh, going back to seeing the second one in theaters. I remember we were in Norfolk, and we went to go see that second one. <laughs> fully packed movie theater. Yeah, we're sitting there. It was like opening night, and. Uh, it's like halfway through when it starts to get real Rob Zombie acid trip-esque. Um, the guy next to me is just like making out with his girl the whole movie. <laughs> and he just looks over at me and I just see this big, huge grin on his face. And I like look at him and he just goes, yo, this shit kind of whack, ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is pretty whack. But... Um, yeah, altogether, there's been 10 films in total. We had uh, Halloween 2 in 81, which Carpenter was actually like locked into a contract to write that one. Um, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch in 82, which w- has nothing to do with Michael Myers. It's like the worst mask. one. Yeah. <laughs> even the it, right? yeah, yeah, I think he has like a cameo, but it was like the actor that played him. Mm. And it's uh, they put on the mask. They're like taking over their minds. Um 
Halloween 4, Return of Michael Myers in 88. Halloween 5, Revenge of Michael Myers. Uh, that was in 89. Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers with uh, Paul Rudd in 95. <laughs> and then H2O, 20 years later in 98, which I just got that H2O is like Halloween 20 years later. Oh, I thought it was yeah. like water. water. Yeah. Time, <laughs> yeah. Halloween 20, dude. I, I learned uh, something. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Resurrection was in 2002. And then uh, the f- remake of the first one in 07 and number two remake in 2009. And they have a combined total worldwide revenue of three hundred and ninety-six million one hundred and twenty-two thousand seven hundred and seventy-one dollars. You didn't want to just round it up to almost four hundred million. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just giving people the exact, the exact knowledge here. Numbers. All right, no fake I'm bringing news the here. truth to no our fake legion news of listeners. On the podcast from so, Mother's what? Are, all right, what are your guys' favorites of like the sequels? Definitely two, four, six. I'm going to go straight evens on this You one. like two? Yeah, dude. That's Two's like when badass. they're in the hospital? Yeah. Ah, I was never really a fan of that one. I know, but that's like, that's where you like find out that like Lori was his sister the whole time. Yeah. That's the one where they blow him up, catch him on fire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we watched that with DW, right? Shout out DW. If you're <laughs> Shout listening. out to DW. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I liked that one. It was all right. Four featuring my girl, Danielle Harris. Ooh, a young Danielle ooh, ooh, Harris, ooh. but. You had a thing for girls named Danielle, don't you? What can I say? DW, DH. <laughs> Loved her in uh, Boy Meets World. Go ahead, one episode, judge me, but that was my childhood crush. She was only in one episode? That's it, my sister TK. Have Ooh. you seen the new show, the new um, Meets World show? Girl Meets World? <laughs> no, they, they now they've got, come out, just announced that they've got a Trans Meets World. That's not a show. <laughs> That's not a show. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> would not surprise me. I thought you were so you made serious. that up. No, I'm not. I'm not You're being serious. I was kidding. I was about to go. That, <laughs> See, that, that wouldn't shock you. You're gonna go watch. Should it? I pitch that to Netflix? Well, let's when this trans we got dibs on that. <laughs> 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 I was about to have that be this week's. Just Google it. Oh, I thought that was gonna be. I wait, thought that was a real thing. Okay, wait. What's name of your homegirl? Danielle Harris. Danielle Harris. That's a just Google it. And uh, PJ, PJ Soul. Soul, please That's do yourselves a, a favor, Ooh. listeners. Yes, Google original. Them both. Also in stripes. Oh, classic. Yeah. So uh, shout out to Bill Murray. I kind of like H two O. I like uh, I like four and five. Like I was saying, although five is a little weird. How she's like deaf and then not. She's like yeah. a deaf mute and then not. I don't not. know, man. Um, definitely, I would say probably of the sequels, whew, that's a tough one. I'd probably say either four or H two O. You don't like six? Uh, Curse of Michael I mean, Myers. Yeah, it's cool, but it's just like super cheesy. H two O got my H2O's boy. H two O is not got my boy H2O. Josh Hartnett in it. Resurrection is yeah, so cheesy, homie. dude. Resurrection is like the worst one. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that one. Can I be real with you guys for a second? Yeah. Yeah. I was doing my initial research for the outline. Yeah. After reading your outline, Rob. Yes. And I saw that there was a Halloween video game. And see, this is me. N64? It's on Atari. Oh. But this is the thing. Anyways, I saw that there was a video game. And I know for a fact there's a Friday the 13th video game on the Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. You guys ever played that? Uh Uh-huh. Classic. I actually enjoyed that. But I always mix one. up. I always mix up Halloween and Friday the 13th. <laughs> Embarrassing. I know. I didn't want to say it, but I felt like I should get off my chest. <laughs> Legions of listeners, please don't judge me. I mean, blue jumpsuit, white mask. Guy that came out. Running around with a knife, everybody. killing teenagers Although, that are having sex. Yeah, it was his mom in the first one, right? Uh, pretty much the same movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go, just going back to Carpenter's like impact on the horror genre and sci-fi as a whole... 
Um, you know, Big Trouble, Little China, fucking classic. <laughs> yeah, like Jack Burton always says, what the hell? <laughs> uh, the Thing, <laughs> also a classic. Kurt Russell again. Carpenter loves Kurt Russell. Who and doesn't? Escape from New York and Escape, Escape from, from New York, LA. Dude, yeah, yeah, those are classics. Sake. And um, yeah, this was also Ooh, something interesting. Did you know that they actually filmed Escape from New York in St. Louis? Because St. Louis let them shut down entire blocks and like have the whole block. You ever and been you to St. Louis? The place is shit. I can well, see that. And though. New York was like, nah, you can't do yeah, that. Yeah, no shit. New York, say that never sleeps. They're not gonna I know, shut but down blocks. Yeah, they do it all the time, dude. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> you um, ever seen SVU? Every like almost every time I've been to New York City to visit, New Year's I pass by a street and they're like, there's trailers that are like Law and Order SVU, like still filming it out in the street. Well, um. This also might interest you guys. So uh, some of the characters in Big Trouble Little China went on to inspire Mortal Kombat characters. Um, Raiden, you know, the dude, the lightning wielders (laughs) in Big Trouble Little China. And um, Shang Tsung was inspired by Lopan, who like took people's souls. So, you know, that's again like Carpenter's Reach. He's inspiring like one of the most classic video games of all time with his movies. Do <laughs> you think Carpenter could beat Sub Zero? John Carpenter, the old man. Wait, John Carpenter now or John Carpenter 78? Dude, John Carpenter 78. Do you see that flow they that had? That long going, flow dude? mustache. Dude, he probably fucked Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> that Harvey Weinstein over here. You're now great, dude. Now you're gonna start a whole scandal. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Oh yeah. John Carpenter's gonna listen to our fucking podcast. Okay, guys. It's a consensual this thing, too dude. Weird, really yeah. Too quick. So, uh, the Rocks Production Company actually got the rights in 2015, <laughs> and he's interested in having a uh, Carpenter involved, like uh, Dwayne Johnson. The rock is cooking rock. Yeah, like People's got the right. Elbow. He got the rights to Big Trouble, Little China. Oh, badass! And they're they're gonna do a remake of that with the Rock. Yeah, apparently <laughs> Kirk Russell. That yeah, and he badass. and the Rock said he like wants Carpenter involved somehow. Like Carpenter said, it's very early in the process. I haven't spoken to Dwayne Johnson about any of this, and I am ambivalent about a remake. Ooh. So who knows what what's coming of that? But confirmed. Um, This past month, actually, I think, upcoming Halloween to be released in October of 2018. Yeah, dude, that's going to be badass. Yeah, Uh, so it was reported that Miramax and Blumhouse Productions were developing the new Halloween film. John Carpenter is set to executive produce the project and act act as a uh, creative consultant. And he said... 38 years after the original Halloween, I am going to help to try to make the 10th sequel the scariest of them all. And um, back in February, he announced that the new Halloween film would be released October 19th, 2018, and was going to be written by David Gordon Green, who did uh, Pineapple Express, and Danny McBride is going to co-write it with him, and it's going to be directed by Green. And then in September... Jamie Lee Curtis confirmed that she would pick up her role as Laurie Strode. And uh, Judy Greer signed on to play her daughter, Karen Strode. And the film will be distributed by Universal, which is the first time they've been involved in the franchise since um, 82's Season of the Witch, Halloween 3. Is that good or bad? I, I mean, I guess that's good. They were on, like, the original ones, you know? Dude, I actually saw an interview with 
uh, Danny McBride because I saw that and I thought that was hilarious. And he was saying like, I don't want everyone thinking that this is just going to be like a comedy take on it. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was uh, thinking. He said that they have, I guess he made like some verbal agreement with Carpenter that they're going to like film and shoot everything and then show it to Carpenter because that's like they filmed everything then Carpenter scored it yeah and he was basically like if I like it I'm gonna score it again and if I don't then I won't and he's like so hopefully it's not just some shit that John Carpenter hates and he'll actually score it because I feel like that will just like make or break the movie you know yeah I mean they actually showed him the script and uh Carpenter said it's kind of a, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost an alternative reality. It picks up after the first one and it pretends that none of the others were ever made. It's going to be fun. There's a really talented director and it's well written. I'm impressed, he said after reading the script. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a direct sequel to the original. And so it's going to ignore all the other sequels. And um, yeah, he did say he would score it. He also said, um, yeah, like I was saying earlier, like Carpenter said in a bunch of interviews that he never really intended um, Halloween to be a franchise and isn't a big fan of all the sequels. And um, he was actually on contract to write Halloween 2. And uh, this was like what spawned the like sibling twist. He wrote that. But yeah. like I said earlier, that that's where they started to like move away from like the random killing idea, you know, because then it got into like, oh, I'm killing my whole family. I mean, the sequels get real janked up. Like in the <laughs> in four and five, it's like uh, Laurie is dead, and like that's her daughter, Danielle yeah. Harris. And then in like uh, what is like H two O, like she's back. Like it's like those never happened. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, they're looking to, like, just kind of untangle all that, which I think I think could be pretty cool. You think that they'll drop the, like, brother-sister thing altogether? Or yeah, that's what, he, with that? nah, that's, that's what he said. Like, in I think in one of the interviews, he was saying that. And he was like, yeah, I mean, the second one is where we did the brother-sister thing, but this is going to pick up right after the first one. So it's going to be... So if that's not in there, he was saying like a lot of like hardcore fans could be pissed, but whatever. Dude, we should actually take a little field trip, boys. Go up to the house in South Pasadena. Check it out. You guys down? Yeah. Yeah? Sound cool? So yeah, um, <laughs> be sure uh, to stay tuned on all the developments in the uh, new Halloween. Um you know, got to see that trailer when it drops. Hopefully it's good shit. Once again, shout out to the listeners. Give us that, you know, questions, comments, concerns. You know, drop us a fucking review if you want. Tell us if you love it, if you hate it, what we could do better, what, if we're doing a good job, if you like it, if you love it. And, you know, shoot us an email. As always, podcast from outer space at Gmail. Hit us up on Instagram. Same thing, at podcast from outer space. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah. And uh, stay tuned. This is uh, first of our, this week and next week, we're going to do like creepy Halloween type stuff. So uh, we got the Halloween special dropping next week. This was uh, kind of part one of that. And uh, part two will be next week. So stay tuned. And See on you guys that, next time. Bon voyage. Thanks for all the fish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.